Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And guess who we have in the studio with us today? Who? Who? You guess out there. No, it's <laughs> Tim Spradlin. I, you probably remember him. We've had him on the show many times because he is a great director. He's had many plays. And if you had a chance to go see them because you listened to the show... Great for you. If you haven't, shame, shame, shame. <laughs> but you have a chance to redeem yourself because you have another play coming up, don't you? I do. So I wanted to get into it, kind of talk about it, because it's a really interesting play. I've never heard of it before, and it's kind of new, isn't it, on the scene? It's 2010, but 2010? it's the first time to be done in Indiana. Well, let's get right into it. So we're going to talk about your new play and give us a little insight on it. Well, it's a musical called Yank. It focuses on gays in the military during World War II. So there's a couple different through lines. One is a, a love story, tragic love story. And the other is uh, how were gays treated in the military? Oh, okay. How were they exposed? And then once they were exposed, what what steps came after? Okay. Well, and I know that Yank is an actual military magazine, it right? It is. Okay. And uh, so that it, that's kind of where the name came from, is that correct? Correct. Okay. Yeah, because so let's talk about the love story part of okay. it. Okay. So the thread of that is at the very beginning of the show, and they just call him S in the script. This uh, guy in modern time finds this journal um, in a junk shop. And he starts flipping through it, and it's this story of this man's journey going through World War II. And then all of a sudden, the story unfolds, and he actually becomes the character Stuart. Oh, okay. Moving okay. forward. Well, that's cool. That is so, pretty. in the beginning, Stuart is, he's the oddball guy. He made fun of it immediately by the other soldiers. Um, they call him Light Loafers. Because he's small, right? Or he's a small guy, and also, you know, he's not effeminate, but he's not a big macho guy. Okay. Um, or at least in my show, he's not effeminate. <laughs> that doesn't. But but he is a slight guy, and and, and not only slight in, in stature, but you know, he, he's a quiet kid and naive um, in the beginning. Almost immediately, there are sparks between he and probably the straightest acting of the whole group. Oh, really? Um, and this guy mentors him a little bit as a soldier. And before you know it, there's uh, a kiss between the two of them. Because they kind of start developing this chemistry as they, they go along. But the kiss is is rejected instantly because of, A, the fear of being caught. And, and this man was heavily closeted. So from there, Stu is approached by uh, another man to become a writer in Yank because he's writing this journal throughout, and the man sees him writing. Oh, okay. Um, well, it turns out it's this. They would have photographer team, a photographer writer team that would go all over different bases all over the world and cover different stories. That would have been a good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd get you off the front line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it turns out the photographer is way gay. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> a complete out of the closet. And so through this experience, now Stu is taken out of his company to do this, and he's exposed to another life, which helps him to grow up and also sexually grow up okay. a little bit. But his heart is always left with this, with this other character uh, named Mitch. So then he gets word from his company that um, Mitch has started drinking a lot and not in very good shape. Oh, and really? he lost his um, companion. At, well, you know, they would pair them up. 
and, mm-hmm. and his, uh, his, they called them buddies, was shot. So it had put him in a bad place. And so Stu arranged, Stuart or Stu, uh, arranged to come back to the company to, uh, under the pretense of interviewing them for the magazine, oh, but okay. really to be there to try to Comfort help him. put Mitch back together. So before you know it, a full-on romance has taken place. Okay. But then before you know it, they're found out. And then it's it's kind of the end of the, quote, love story, but the beginning of the hell that... They're going to get on, ready to go through. Well, that Stuart goes through. Oh, Stuart goes through. Okay. Yeah. They never expose Mitch. Let, hey, let's backtrack a little yeah, bit. And sure. I don't know if the, the story <laughs> kind of goes into this, but does Mitch... Is he drafted, or is he? Just, did he actually enlist? You you assume they're all drafted. Okay, okay. So that's what because we were just talking about that earlier. Um, that in the military, and you have stats on this, right? If gays were drafted, a lot of times they would be up front and say that they were gay, and then they would they draft drafted them, them anyways. Anyway. Yeah, right. And what well, at least the United States and our allied forces. Did that. They didn't care they were gay until after it was over, generally, and then they were persecuted and prosecuted right. after that, whether it be dishonorable discharges or literally prosecuting for different things. Correct. As opposed to the Germans, that they prosecuted regardless, even if you were a citizen in Norway, they prosecuted them under German law. And we were talking earlier, too. It was interesting. I found out that this surprised me. I don't know if it's going to surprise anybody else, but it sure did me. That when the concentration camps were liberated, if you had a pink triangle on your uniform indicating that you were gay, you were taken to prison. Mm. You weren't released. Directly. There was right. not even a, exactly. a court martial. Because under German law, it was illegal to be gay. So once they had already established that they were gay in the concentration camp, then they prosecuted them, put them in prison, gave them a sentence, and their time in the concentration camps did not count towards their sentence time. So, I mean, you talk about going through a living hell. So when Stuart's exposed, he kind of starts this whole hellish journey. And kind of, can you kind of go over that, what he yeah. kind of goes through? When they take him uh, to, the, to the prison area, uh, two interrogators come in. There's a whole sequence where they come in and they, they question him and, and they use force and also just head games to mm. try to get in there and, and foul him up and little sleep. So he starts to hallucinate a little bit. Before you know it, he has exposed the uh, photographers. He's given mm-hmm. the photographer's name because it was because that was the. That's how they. Like, I know that's how. They, I have a friend that, that went through this exact same thing during Vietnam, and she mm-hmm. was. It actually was an Indiana, the NDR governor at the time, that actually went through one of the senators that actually got her out of the military because her dad was a major. They did. The, the whole point wasn't necessarily getting you to admit it. It was getting you to Exposed. sell out everybody else. That's exactly wow. right. Wow. Okay. That's exactly right. So this is so that so this is what he's going through. Is he's trying? They're trying to get more people involved in this. It, I don't want to make light of that because that seems pretty big. I mean, it, it's almost like the same way of them trying to get accomplices from oh, a crime. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, well, it was. It kind of goes back yeah. to. If you were effeminate, let's say, but they can't prove it. They can't prove that you're gay. They can't do. They can't arrest you or 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 send you to prison for just acting gay. Mm-hmm. They have to be able to prove it. It's through these measures that they could find out who was gay, and and then and that's all they needed was a word, and then you're you're done. 
Really? So somebody whether it's true or not, by the way, yeah, really, the accusation. And then they and would, these were harsh punishments. I mean, they weren't. You know, I mean, this was a this was life changing. And again, if we talk about these people were drafted, they right. didn't sign up for this, and now their whole life is ruined because of it. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting what you said about men that admitted that they were gay. This kind of came in waves. It, it sometimes. It was overlooked and you were sent anyway. Mm-hmm. It just depended on who was in office at the time or who was running for something because sometimes it just simply was not tolerated and and men would keep their mouths shut because if you were not inducted because you were gay, it was still marked on there. You were marked as a sexual deviant. And really? Wow. if you took that paperwork back home, the, the difference between World War II and Vietnam was about pride in country, really. And what I mean by that, and not that there was a difference during Vietnam, people loved America, but they were fighting against the thought of war. In World War II, it was almost proud to send your son or daughter right. to the war because they were fighting for their country and for the better good of the country. So if you came back without having served, they want to know why. People in your community want to know Mm -hmm. why. And because your your paperwork was so easily accessible, it says sexual deviant, you're not getting a job. You're an outcast of your community. It would be, it's so, it's it's rough on either side. So a lot of them at times would lie. I would, I definitely understand that. And I mean, and so this is kind of Stu's journey of this kind of right that he he's just oh that's terrible you know and well he, i'm thinking when he when he was drafted he was a naive kid he knew he was attracted to men but had never done anything to you know it's it you know you're thinking about 1943 right um there was no will and grace in 1943 right, right. or ellen on tv yeah. every day right there, there are no examples of it well you, he may have not had any kind of sexual experience at that time it, you know you would, you would think not yeah. yeah so it's just and now was he and i don't know his character but what is he proud to serve was that is that conveyed in there i'm not really positive. you know he, he, it I think he's as a, he's as frightened as any of them okay. at the time. But you know, again, he never acts like he's in resistance. Okay. He, you know, and by the end of the show, he's as strong as any of them, considering what he's gone through. Mm. Um, because not to give too much away, but he's given three choices at the end of the interrogation. He's offered. I, I'm just going to guess here off the top of my head, but I think it was five years in a military prison. Three years in a civilian prison where he would surely die or fight on the front. Well, <laughs> you know, well, so there's that's good options. Yeah. It, I mean, but we can't make light of that. I mean, no. seriously, think about that. Let that sink in for a minute, listeners, because you're thinking you're going to get five years for simply being gay. Right. And you'll, for five years, you're a target. So what, what's, what are the odds of coming out of that? Exactly. And let's just say you do. Like you said, now you have papers saying that you're a sexual deviant. And I want, and I don't want to make light of that either because there are no. places that this still happens, right? Well, I mean, just know that this stayed in different, as you said, it came and went in waves right. until 1993. It didn't change until 1993. And during World War II, 35% of the military were teenagers. Mm. Yeah. So, again, going back to, you know, we weren't as sexually active then. So 35% of your military going in, mostly getting drafted, that are teenagers, you're going to have a lot, a lot of this story. Right. Well, and I don't know if there are 200, I think we're talking about, there was a guesstimate of 250,000 
um, is the number they guess Estimated, of gays yes. in the military and, during World War II. Right. And, I mean, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember this movie, but I think it had Matthew Broderick in it, but it was Biloxi Blues. Is that, mm-hmm. Am I saying yes. that right? Uh, yeah. And they had a scene where one of the guys was gay, and he was meeting up with another guy, and he never gave up until the bitter end, but he finally gave up the other guy, and they, they came in military police, and it was a scene, you know? And it, it, so, I, yes, I just, I don't yeah. think we can not understate that. I don't well, think and so. here's an interesting point, too. Let, let's get to the beginning of this. Sure. Because this was not an issue during World War One. I. I mean, I'm sure, really? it, I'm sure that, that there were instances. It wasn't the military that started this. It wasn't the government that started this. It was doctors. They deemed homosexuals as um, as it was crazy. A illness. It was a mental, mental illness. What, uh, Dr. Yeah. Mara said 12, 1972 or something like that. It was considered a mental illness. So they, you can't have someone who's mentally ill fighting for their country. That mix is what started all this mess. Wow. And then, of course, the government took, took it. Oh, well, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, well, once they was, get their grubby There were so on many it. cultural things that happened during World War II, not just this being on the forefront, but women in the workforce became acceptable. We right. mm-hmm. talked a little bit about that. Women making more money. Public affection. That was one of the things that I read that I didn't know this either, that that is when the tide turned on um, doing public affection, whether it be ah, kissing or crying or holding hands or any kind of public affection prior to World War II, that was unacceptable. It was deemed inappropriate to have any kind of, you know, I mean, you can even watch <laughs> TV and they, they slept in twin beds, right? They, right? You didn't have any kind of public affection. But then this became when you're, if you just found out your husband died and you're crying in the street or all of the ads of kissing your girl goodbye and right. all of those it things. It was romanticized. Yes. Know? And that, that oh, single yeah. change of the culture of public affection and, and making those things acceptable, which then made or being sexual, part of this whole thing, too, which then just highlighted the homosexuality point. Correct. Um, so it all comes That's around to a, just a cultural difference on public that. affection. Yeah. Well, and then let's uh, let's go back to Yank for a minute. Now, at the end, does, it, does he revert back to the guy that found the journal? Oh, I don't know if I should tell. Oh, no, don't tell. Don't, don't tell. Don't tell. <laughs> yeah, no. Ruin the show for everybody, buddy. We yeah. don't know if he's alive at the end of the show. Oh, I'm not telling you. There you go. <laughs> so, well, we don't want to give away the <laughs> We want everybody to buy a ticket. Yeah, we do absolutely. want everybody to buy a ticket. Well, another cultural thing that I found really interesting was the whole dressing up as in drag because that's a thing now, right? I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's big show on in Vegas. It's right? a big show in a lot of places. But it, this was really a, I mean, it's been around forever, obviously, in Greek and plays and different Correct. things. But this changed the American culture when it came to that. It did. You know, if you think about the musical uh, South Pacific, mm-hmm. there's that little funny scene, uh, Honey Bun, where the guy comes out with uh, coconut shells over his breasts <laughs> and a hula skirt. Mm-hmm. And she comes out, I think, in a sailor uniform and a hat. So they reverse roles in South Pacific. So it's okay there. That type of show, not with the woman, but that happened often. To bring the morale of the troops up, they wanted to put on some kind of shows, and so men dressed in drag. Yeah, when I read it, they said it was too expensive. 
the USO was too expensive to fly women all the time. So they were just plenty of men who wanted to do it. Yeah. And they were like, well, let us just do it. And that's how it came about. And it became very, very popular. So the, that's a and accepted. And, and accepted. accepted. Oh, not only accepted. Not only accepted, but it became a big deal. It did. Really? In mm-hmm. fact, there was a musical, and, and it's not coming to me right now. It was so popular among the bases, they took it on tour all over the United States really? with these men playing women. And then eventually a film was made of it, and I believe Ronald Reagan was in it. But by this time, of course, they integrated it. <laughs> Men and women, of course. Um, but it's it's in the, but it came from from these drag queens. And so let's explain what that looks like. Sure. So on an army base, they aren't wearing fancy wigs and beautiful gowns. They're wearing mop tops and whatever right. material that they could put together to so low budget care. folks but, yeah, we're talking independent <laughs> stage production there you go I bet I well I don't know depending I bet some of them came up with some pretty elaborate I costumes imagine. I bet I would imagine <laughs> well so it's a direct correlation to drag shows from the military Absolutely. I mean we can make a direct link to that that's interesting I would have never part of the American that. culture See? This was another one of those things that came out of World War II. Absolutely. So I didn't just, know that until about two hours ago when I was looking this up. Well, so think about that, folks. Next time you go to a drag show, you are supporting the military. <laughs> <laughs> there you there go. There you go. I like that. So, that, I mean, I didn't. there's all kinds of things I didn't realize about that kind of stuff. So it was... Well, and you know, it, there was a scene that focused on this very thing. But in the early stages of the show, I, I, I imagine for time's sake... It was that section was cut from this show, but uh, on the same platform, there, there's a scene, and, and it's used for comedy's sake, but mm-hmm. it's it's based on the absolute truth. So it goes back to the question: You've got men who are effeminate, but you can't prove that they're homosexual. What did the army do with them? So they found jobs for these people to do, and in the case of my show, that it's. Uh, they put them in the secretarial unit or the steno unit, which is what we have. But there were other jobs. Nursing was another oh, okay. place that you'd put these people. But this way, they could they could keep an eye on them, and plus, they were also getting the best out of them for for their purposes. So, in in my show, what happens uh, with these men in the steno unit? And and this really happened. Maybe not exactly in this way, but. Uh, these guys would carry on and just uh, to make the best out of, out of a pretty Bad pathetic situation. situation. Oh, yeah. Boring, I guess, would be a bit Well, that could be that too. <laughs> um, so they would act like women. And in, in my show, there are three of them, and they take on different characters from Gone with the Wind, and they just talk to each other like crazy and, <laughs> and get into little fights. Well, but so here's what's interesting. So Stu the, uh, is given a note or some kind of correspondence to take to the steno unit. Now, here's a kid that probably came from a cornfield someplace. Right. With, again, mm-hmm. as we said earlier, no exposure. And he is sent to face this. And they clock him pretty quickly and act as they do. Um, He's mortified because that's just not in his DNA at that point Um, or, or ever. To him, that's the worst case scenario of what he could be. Oh, okay. I can see that. Because these men are a bit older than him, and they've been at it <laughs> a long time. <laughs> um, so, it, it's so he's a, afraid, kind of like 
for lack of a better term, turning out that way. Exactly. Exactly. I think I think that's a, a huge unspoken message because I think there's a lot of that. Yeah. I oh, imagine, yeah. yeah. In Especially forms. in young teenage boys. I think there's a lot of that that they and I, I think more football players and basketball players that come out of being gay are gonna really help with that. But they think that that's oh my goodness, I can't be a football player and be gay. I can't be a boxer mm. and be gay. I can't yeah. be this stud and be, you know, I have to be feminine because there's not a lot of role models out there because it wasn't it wasn't acceptable to do that. You know, it's funny because of where we are in society now. And the bulk of these guys are somewhere around 27 that are in my cast. And then I've got uh, three guys that are older that play, and when I say older, I mean over 40, that play the the sergeants and the the Mm -hmm. higher ranking officers. And I blame it on Google. (laughs) (laughs) Uh There's so much they don't know because it's at their fingertips. So they don't hold it. But I've tried to explain to them the history of being gay. I remember when Soap came out, the mm, TV Billy show. Crystal? Yeah, there was, so there was a gay character in that, and I think it was HBO or Showtime that had a show called Brothers, where there was a real effeminate supporting character. Mm-hmm. These were the first gay men on television that I had ever seen. I was scared to die. You know, at the time, I'm thinking, if I look at them... Not Billy Crystal necessarily, because he'd never acted that way. But the guy from the Brothers thing, I wouldn't watch that show because even if there were 10 people in the room watching it, if I'm there watching it, they will know. Mm. Wow. Now people aren't, because it's so widely seen, people don't think twice about it, you know, as in that way. That's where the wave was in the, in the 70s, and, and I think probably it's some into the 80s, but now it's a lot different because I think the exposure there is there, the uh, acceptance is different. People, especially younger people, are just, they, they know who they are. Yeah, well, if they don't, it, it, as you said, it's on TV, and, and, it's, and it's a wide range. It's not right. one stereotypical character. Right. You know, that it was, you know, because that was the character, right? That was, that was, that was, you know, all, all gay men were very feminine and flamboyant and all gay women were very masculine and truck drivers. That's exactly right. You know, and that's that's people, and I think there's still a whole population of people who still think that that's true. But we do see so many more ranges because it's on TV and there's movies all about it. You know, I mean, I mean, what was it? Uh, the kids are all right. You know, oh, they, they yeah, were both up for Academy Awards for that movie. Correct. So, and it was yeah. a portrayal of something completely different than that. And it's interesting when you go back to the '70s and you look at these men who got married, had children. And, you know, and a younger person today would question, well, why did they even get married? Well, you got married because you wanted to fit into society. And going back to what we were just talking about, a person on television or in your own community, they may have never met or seen another homosexual in their life in the mid-70s. So they didn't even know what they were. In fact, a lot of guys in the 70s, from what I've read in 60s, they thought they wanted to be women because they didn't know what gay was. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think there's a a big misconception out there and a good percentage of the population, too, that that thinks that every gay man wants to be a a woman. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not not true, but... There, I think that a lot of people, and it's all ignorance, really. I mean, well, I mean, I guess and, and on both sides, a, like you said, it's not, it's never been really exposed. I mean, you think about it, 
in your mind, you're thinking, oh, if you grew up in the 70s or the 60s, this is what your quintessential gay man or gay woman would be like. So if you felt that you were gay, this is what you this was what your future looked like in right. your mind. Right. Which is interesting because if you go back a little bit further than that, if you want to go back to the Romans, the Vikings, mm-hmm. any of those other civilizations, um, you know, it, it wasn't about even being gay. There wasn't, a, I mean, obviously it wasn't a title of that, but... People slept with anybody they wanted to. Kind of like the youth of today sleep with anybody they want to. They don't define themselves as gay or straight or anything else if they'll sleep with anybody. Um, That was the way it was in most of history. It's just our current history that's really changed that it's not acceptable and we persecute and prosecute and stone people for it. I mean, I think there's still 11 countries in the world today that... Um, you can be put to death for being gay. Correct. As we sit here right now. Correct. And, you know, just to kind of shift a little bit, I, I'd like to talk about your cast for a minute. Oh, if sure. I could. You, so one of the things you brought up earlier is that them being so young, because I know when I was looking at the pictures online, I was like, oh, these kids. I'm like, I don't know their kids. They, they can be as old as I am, but... <laughs> nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> so. well, t- well, if I could say this, we, we staged a number the other night... About the pinup girls. That's uh, what I was going to ask you about. Oh, yeah? Yes. And, oh, they're going to kill me for this. But <laughs> so there are four of them in this number. Because they named some of these women, I, I had to get the pinups for the scene um, for them to have. So who are the pinups? Um, <laughs> well, um, there is Rita Hayworth. and mm, Okay, um, that's a good choice. But, but the song is based on Betty Grable, but then it goes okay. into these other girls. Okay. Uh, Veronica Lake. Uh, Lena Horn, mm. Lena Horn's um, good choice. Lana, Lana Turner, uh, Judy Garland, and all good pinups. Well, and then oddly enough, uh, Deanna Durbin is mentioned, but it's sort of uh, comedically. They could not identify a single one of the pictures to the name, <laughs> not one. Even Judy Garland, because she wasn't in the Dorothy outfit. Really? <laughs> wow! It was a glamour shot of of Judy. No, not a one of them. And okay. you and I asked them, and this I, I, you know, this was a trick question in a way, but I said <laughs> because I was educating them on how the pinup girl became the poster uh, girl mm-hmm. of the '60s and '70s. I said of uh, the pinup slash poster, which one made the most money? Which one sold the most copies? And they guessed Marilyn Monroe, which that, that was a good guess. I would say so. But it's Farrah Fawcett. Said, I was going to say, I would say, it has to be Farrah Fawcett. Yeah. I would have not guessed that. I would have thought think, Marilyn Monroe. I think a teenage kid today would even know who that one is. Yeah. Uh, well, I, they probably still have them in the room. They yeah. did know yeah. uh, the picture that I was talking about. You but have this to know is, the one we're talking about. I think she's in a red swimsuit or something. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, with a nipple shot. That was, that was what was so <laughs> yeah. provocative about that picture. Yeah. But here's what here's the reason I wanted to educate them about that because when I was researching this show I I, I always like to read reviews to see maybe what the, where the pitfalls are and there was a production of this in Chicago and a, a female uh, reviewed it and she tore this number to shreds she said it was sexist and the writers really should cut it from the show and so I have hmm. two feelings about that uh, a a reviewer's job is to come and review the material that's put in front of them and not to edit it in any way or suggest edits. Right. But but more than more important than that, even though today it may not be politically correct to idolize people just based on their sexuality or their body or 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 something like that. And, and maybe that's 
us heading in the right direction, but you can't deny history. She's offended with that, but yeah. the whole show is about persecuting somebody for who they love. Exactly. And that's not acceptable yeah, that, today. That that's okay. That period so piece is okay, but I, the pinup girl right, is... I think that it, says it, a little bit more about her I think poor so perspective. Because right. so that is a part of history. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it. Well, you know what? I mean, you know, I it's, even if you like do, I told the guys, I, I said, you know, in the day... The more pinups you could collect, it was like Pokemon cards of today. Right. <laughs> right. But right. this is no joke. Oh, yeah. Right. I've yeah. got so-and-so. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, it was huge. It, well, sure. And that's what I'm saying. You can't take something of a, out of history and put it in the context of today. It's just right. that, that doesn't make any sense. Well, in that, I'm talking about the cultural differences. That was the first time that that had been like that had been acceptable like that, too. So this was all new of... Sex being okay Correct. and affection being okay Going back and, to what you were and saying, desire right? being okay. So then we have the pinups. That was the first real time of this. Yeah. So that would have been a brand new thing. Correct. And you know, and it's funny that in these Yank magazines there are always pinup girls mm. posted in the in the magazines. Um, <laughs> I think that from from what I've read. It was also a sign of masculinity. You've got mm-hmm. 20 pinups. A few of them are signed. Yeah. It, right. it, it put you on the higher yeah. end of the food chain, you yeah, know? Absolutely. That makes sense. So now when your cast looked at this, was it one of these things like they... The, well, first of all, did they understand it was a pinup? They or did. They, oh, okay. They so I was... I, the way I took it was like... <laughs> What is a pinup? So I uh, that's gotcha. the way I kind of took it. Gotcha. So no, now what about other period pieces? Are they did they struggle with that? That they're like they had no idea what this even meant. Or? Well, you know, going back to Rainmaker, uh, the the younger brother uh, who's who's played by Joe Wagner. Who we did a show on that. If you yeah. don't want to, I was talking about. He did this show absolutely um, a few months ago, and we have a show on that too. So correct, and he's a very smart guy. Um, so this wasn't about his intelligence. The younger brother? Yes. Stole the show, uh, by yes, the way. Yes, he did. <laughs> stole the show. Um, he was really, really good. And his character was not the smartest guy in, <laughs> in the room. But he was he was going to call uh, a girl that he was interested in. But he didn't have her number. And so someone says to him, well, just call the operator. And he doesn't want to do it. So Joe asked me, he goes, why, why doesn't he just want to call the operator? And I had to explain to him that, and this took place in the early 30s, <laughs> a call to the operator, and let's, even, let's go back to the 70s again. Right. <laughs> it was a thing. And right. the, pers- the operator on the other end may not have been as nice as you would hope, which makes you intimidated. And this guy was easily intimidated anyway. Now go back to the 30s where, where there was Gloria back on the other end of that phone who maybe maybe or didn't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was intimidating to make those calls. But, you know, if you're a kid of today and had, would have had never it. called an operator in your life, how would you know? That's right. There's a great YouTube video out there. It's been around on Facebook of teenagers with a rotary phone. <laughs> and they can't figure out how to make a call. And they, I mean, it's hilarious. They just pick it up and they put it down and then they dial and they don't. Yeah, it's hilarious. Oh, we had that forever. Well, and I think that that's interesting because I got to tell you, I, it, when you get younger kids and messing with technology and it's, I gotta say even with your period piece that's gotta like mind boggle them in some ways it's like why do we even do that how did that even happen right. you know so I think that did, did they get to go on with the wind stuff well it's I mean, the older guys that play that fortunately oh, okay. 
That's yeah. probably not that watched much thing. today. But you know, you got to think about this, and it goes exactly to what you just said, Christy, about today's youth. I mean, just again going through history. In the 80s, in gay culture, there was a big separation. You were either straight, a gay man, or a lesbian, and the, the groups did not mix a whole bunch. Yes. And, you know, it, it seemed like gays and men and women were at odds for a long time. It has slowly blended together, and now you can't tell who's who. Right. <laughs> um, and the youth of today don't care. They don't care, and thank God for it. Yeah, they yeah. don't care. So I, I think that that's where our gay icons have slowly started to disappear a little bit. Because I'll be honest, when I showed them Veronica Lake's picture, they thought it was Cher <laughs> in a blonde wig. <laughs> you know, wow. the best they had. Yeah. Um, I think it tells you how long Cher's been around. Well, there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's where you're going, is Cher. So anyway, but you know, but yeah. I don't want you to get the wrong idea. These are intelligent guys. Oh, and, sure, yeah. And they're fantastic in the show. But you know, like I said, I blame I blame Google. Well, Well, we're doing an interview, uh, we're conducting it on Friday, so it's going to be a couple weeks after your show, with somebody who just turned 100. And so that's going to be fascinating, too, of Mm -hmm. talking to somebody who's lived 100 years, because she's went through all of this and see it all change. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about a few scenes that are not going to make it. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, he's sitting here. Oh, here we are go. This is Mark sitting here before you. Are they going to get naked when we come to play? Like, I'm totally concerned about this, and I'm like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Well, because it was interesting. I was just watching a YouTube right. video on it, and it's like, and they just all got naked right there on the stage. I'm like, oh, I totally understand the shower scene because I get that part of it, but I'm just like, let me address that in two ways. There will be no nudity in, in this production of the game. Okay, good. Now we can go. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but the point is, um, this is early in the show, too. In, in, in the second number of the show, which is the first big, big number. Oh, okay. So here's Stu, this, this hayseed guy. And I keep calling him hayseed. It's just the best way that I can describe his naivety. <laughs> Sorry, farm people. Um <laughs> It just shows how uncomfortable he is with his masculinity. So all of a sudden, the sergeant yells, all right, everybody shower, and everybody's taking their clothes off. And he's not taking his clothes off because he doesn't want to be naked with all these men. So then in the off-Broadway production, from the audience's viewpoint, down with their pants, and you saw their bum, Right there right, for the right. world to see. And then they go back behind the screen and they have their shower with Stu's left outside. And then he turns and delivers a speech about how uncomfortable he is. And he equates it to, well, maybe I'm even a little more masculine because I don't want to be with with men. Yeah. <laughs> so this is just well, early in his... good that it shows, because that's reality. So many gay is. youth have no idea what it is they're feeling. For me, the shower thing, I don't care, gay, straight, whatever. I don't want to shower with a bunch of people I don't know. You know? It's like, <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, yeah. it's like, I, you know, that always bugged me, you know, when you're in high school. You're thinking, I shower with all these people. I, you get to know them on an intimate level, and you don't know their last name. I wonder I'm if just they saying. still do that. You know what? My, mine happened in junior high school. There I am in seventh grade, and Ooh, two, days, two days after you meet somebody... All of a sudden, you're naked with them in a shower. It was horrible. <laughs> horrible. Wow. Who I get that, that? Especially I, in the seventh grade. Like, yeah. Without well, like, being too graphic. You know, 
And you, you think about the seventh grade, people develop at different times. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. so it, it, that could be horrifying. It, it, I, I, but yeah, like I say, so the shower scene, you're cutting out, but totally understandable. <laughs> and we're happy about it. And, yeah. yeah, you know. Well, tell us a little bit where this play is going to take place. Okay. This is at the District Theater which used to be Theater on the Square, which is on Massachusetts Avenue downtown, just east of East Street. <laughs> um, <laughs> just redone. Yeah, just completely redone. redone. Yeah, we were there for Shelley Tackett's concert. Mm-hmm. She's been on our show a couple times. And oh, right. She, they did the first opening. They did the show, the first opening oh, show. Oh, yeah. So this is on the big stage. We open March 1st, and we play... Uh, that weekend, we play Friday, Saturday at 7.30, and then Sunday at 4 p.m. Okay. And then for the three weeks that follow, we're Thursday through uh, Saturday at 7.30 p.m., and then Sunday at 4. I think it's a... I, you know what? It if you're just, in the Indianapolis yeah. area, you definitely should go down. You definitely should check this out. I think the ticket prices are... $25. $25. But let me say, if I could say one more oh, thing. Oh, absolutely. It, in spite of the heavy nature of this show... There's a lot of levity because you, mm-hmm. you you have to balance these things, and you're dealing with with soldiers that aren't you know sophisticated and all right. their angst. The writers of the show, which are two gay brothers from New York, Joseph and uh, David Zelnick, who I met. I was going to say August. you went out there and met them, didn't you? Yes, and I will tell you that with the show that they probably started writing somewhere around 2006 or so. That it finally made it off Broadway in 2010. They are just as passionate and excited about their show today as they were, I'm sure, on nice. day one. It's easy to get jaded after, so, you know, well, and going that's, through all I mean, that. they've had great success with it. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a pleasure to meet them. But, but I just wanted to say it's through their smart writing. Right. Of the book and the lyrics and the music that keeps this show moving forward in such a way that there are highs and lows throughout that keep you from slitting your wrist. Well, I was going to say, it kind of gives you that whole well-rounded kind of show, a story. You know, you're actually experiencing somebody's life. There's going to be highs and lows. So, yeah, definitely, if you have a moment, get go down there, check it out. Uh, You can go on their website. Uh, through the District Theater. Districttheater.org, I believe it yes. is. Yes, or if you're on Facebook, you can go to uh, Yank the Musical in Indianapolis. Okay. And yeah, get all the information. Definitely go out, folks. Check this out. I think it's going to be an awesome show. I can't wait. I think we're going to be there uh, opening night. Mm, sure. So yeah, we'll definitely be there to uh, support you and the cast. So Thank you. So thank you, Tim, so much for coming out and telling us about your new adventure. So folks, it's Yank, and it's at the District Theater. Starting March 1st. Running for four weeks. Four Mm -hmm. weeks. So you got plenty of time. Get your tickets. (laughs) There you go. So thanks a lot, Tim, for doing the show. My pleasure. Well, I got to tell you, Tim's a lot of fun. I mean, he's an awesome guy. He is an awesome guy. Great director. Obviously, this is going to be another great show directed by him. So every show we've seen has been stellar. Yes. Yep. So definitely and moving fo- and, and sending a good message out to the world. Yeah, and I think that this one will do a lot of good because I mean, not only are you going to learn about history, it's also a story behind it. So right. I think it hits a little closer to home. So if you're actually in the Indianapolis area, definitely take some time, go down there, check out the show. Twenty five bucks and great night of theater. Great, it's a great, very intimate theater. Very intimate. That's a very good point. You will be up close and personal, and I think that that's probably what this kind of play should be. Yeah, you're definitely going to feel it. Yes, definitely. 
So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search Living On Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. So live every day of your life. On purpose. On purpose.